1: Hey, my friends, I want to let you all know that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead, after being knocked down, is now available for pre-order. I'll make sure the link is available in the show notes below. All right, my friends, let's do the show. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. My friends, today's conversation is all about the important topic of boundaries. Yes, I know, boundaries. This is something that I have uh, still (laughs) struggled with uh, in my own life and it is something that I am still learning more about and I love having these kinds of conversations with people that know more about an important topic like this than what I do. And my guest today is none other than the wonderful Terry Cole. Now, for those of you that don't know who she is, you need to get to know more about her. And trust me, today you're going to learn a lot about her and why boundaries are so, so vital in our life and how to get better at setting boundaries for that fact. So, Terry Cole is a licensed psychotherapist and global leading expert in female empowerment. For two decades, Terry has worked with some of the world's most well known personalities. From international pop stars to Fortune 500 CEOs and beyond, Derry has a gift for making complex psychological concepts accessible and then actionable so that clients and students achieve sustainable change. That is true transformation, she says. She empowers over 250,000 people weekly through her blog, social media platform, signature courses, and Real Love Revolution and Boundary boot camp courses. And she has a popular podcast too called The Terry Cole Show. You can learn more at her website, terrycole.com. But today, like I mentioned, is all about boundaries and how we can become our own boundary boss, which is the title of her brilliant book, with the same name, Boundary Boss. And we really need to break free from over-functioning, over-delivering, people-pleasing, and ignoring people's, our own needs, first and foremost, and other people's needs as well. So you can finally live the life that we were meant to live, the one that we actually deserve, So in today's conversation, we're going to talk all about how to recognize when your boundaries have been violated and then what to do next, why boundaries are in fact important, how your unique boundary blueprint is unconsciously driving your boundary behaviors and strategies to redesign it. Powerful boundary scripts, so in the moment, you will know what to say and what to do. How to ma- manage boundary destroyers, so people in your life that have become toxic. How to even know that people are actually toxic for your life, what they do. We've got including uh, narcissists, manipulators, and just toxic personalities all around. And so much more. This is a really, really brilliant conversation. If you remember, I had a conversation with uh, Nedra uh, Tawab about boundaries. She wrote the brilliant book, Set Boundaries, Find Peace. Because when we can live in harmony and we're all mindful of our own boundaries and other people's boundaries as well, we can have that inner sense of peace. There is harmony uh, all around us. So, my friends, if you do get something from this conversation, please share it around with all your friends and your family. Let everyone know about this one. I honestly love speaking with Terry, and we're going to do it again uh, in the not-too-distant future. She's honestly amazing. Uh, So please help support her by getting a copy of her book and sharing this conversation around. I'll make sure the link for her book is in the show notes below for you guys. And speaking of books, my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead After Being Knocked Down is now available for pre-order in whatever country you are listening to this. You can get a copy of the book and I hope that you do. So I'll make sure the links are in the show notes below as well. All right, my friends, you know what time it is. It is time to journey with me into the story box and learn more about how how we can become our own boundary boss with learning about the stories, the wisdom and the advice from the wonderful Terry
2: Cole. Why, thanks for having me. I'm super psyched to be here.
1: I'm psyched to have you here, Terry. Now, my very first question for you is, what does success look like for you?
2: Uh, Besides having a shit ton of cash, um, it really means, because that's that's there, right? Because what is money? Freedom to do good works is what money is to me. And to live the way that I want to live and to have choices and freedom. But really, success is... Having a balance, having a happy, I've been with my husband for 25 years. I've got kids, I've got grandkids, like balance. It can't just be all work. And I'm definitely a recovering workaholic. So I have fought really hard to have success on my own terms. That is based in my desire and not based on fear you know for years i thought i was running i thought it was just ambition like i'm just running towards my goals and then you know a bunch of therapy later i was like oh or running away from my fear of being inadequate or that i think my father wished that i was a boy because i was his fourth daughter or whatever right we all have our story so that's what success means to me having a robust personal life i have many amazing friends i have three sisters i'm very close with my mom i have an amazing marriage i love my kids i love my grandkids and helping as many people in the world as I possibly can reduce their suffering and elevate their joy.
1: How long have you've been married for 20something years, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: How did you meet your husband?
2: On a blind date, old-fashioned. Ah. Tell me the story, please. Oh, so good. I was a talent agent at the time, and one of my clients who was just a player, kind of a guy who I would never go out in a million years. And, but he would always be like, I got tickets to a Broadway show. Do you want to go? I was like, okay, but we're never having sex, by the way. So, <laughs> he, and he was like, a he always had like a million girlfriends. And then one day he was like, hey, you know what? You should go out with my best friend from high school. He's nothing like me. And I was like well, if he's nothing like you, I'll consider it. And we went out actually on a date, a double date with the player and his then fiance, which obviously they broke up. Um, And then my husband, Victor is his name, Vic. He calls me after our first date and says, you know, the woman that I date normally is coming back from Europe. And Brian thinks that I should try to date both of you, but I really just can't. You're amazing. Can we be friends? I was like, uh, you're at least the most honest man that I've met in New York city so far. <laughs> and we stayed friends for a couple of years. And I kept trying to fix him up with other people because I was like, this dude is straight, yeah. great looking, super successful. He's an artist. He's an illustrator. He's a visual journalist, goes to war zones. Like he's amazing. I just thought he wasn't for me because of that first date. And then we end up going to dinner years later um, as friends. And again, I, I brought a friend who was single trying to fix her up with him and then we just we just hit it off that night. And he was like, hi, do you want to ditch these people? I was like, yes, I do. And we were together ever since.
1: So there was a method in my madness asking that question because you've been married for quite a bit of time and you have this book called Boundary Boss. And because you mentioned about finding balance in your life, what advice would you give to young people like myself at the moment? Because I'm 25, um, uh, not married yet. I hope to get married one day. But in order for me to have a longstanding, long-lasting relationship like you have, and you mentioned that it was a great marriage and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So what advice would you give to me in finding that sense of balance while also keeping my boundaries in place with that person? Is that even possible?
2: Of course it is. <laughs> I wrote a whole freaking book on it. It's definitely possible. <laughs> uh-huh. But, you know, Jay, it's really about slowing down. Right in the dating process, I say slow down. I feel like if there's a lot of urgency, like on date three, you're like, let's move in together. That makes me, if my therapy clients are saying that, I'm all like, hey, 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 tap the brakes. Because if this is good on date three, it'll be good on date 23 or month 23. Why we got to be talking about getting married? Like, I'm, oh, that's a red flag to me if there's too much rushing. I also think not being sexual instantaneously. Now, listen, maybe I'm just, old. I don't know. Like maybe I'm just a different generation, but from a psychological point of view, I feel like if we have sex really fast, it complicates the getting to know each other process because now there's no potential ulterior motive that neither person can even identify, right? Like if it's really hot and you're really, Do do I know the difference between love and lust? I'm not positive because they feel a lot alike and they're not the same. And really, if you wait, I had, which sounds very like corny and old fashioned because, you know, I'm I'm not anti-sex. I just was never a really promiscuous person. And when I met Vic, I said, from the first date, when we were actually getting together, I was like, hey, I have this thing. It's called the eight date rule. And he's like, excuse me. And I was like- definitely not having sex until we've had eight dates, and he was like okay that's fine um you know he was, just, he was normal he was like he, i'm sure he thought it was a little weird and i said let me tell you why if i go on four dates with someone and i don't want to have any more dates with them i certainly will not myself regret not having sex with them on date three right And it creates, first of all, all of this beautiful sexual tension, anticipation, which made it when we finally did have sex amazing. But it took it off the table. So it also wasn't preoccupying our minds and his mind. Like, should I bust a move? Should I not? Is this the right thing? I'm at her apartment. We're making out. But so it it was actually very erotic, honestly, to not have have. To know we weren't having sex for eight dates. Now, I'm not saying that's right for everyone, but I think the theory, from a psychological standpoint, is sound. That slowing down gives you a chance to get to know someone in a less complicated. Yeah. Way and yet one of my friends, Rob Max Mac, was on my show the other day. We were talking about it, and he was like, "Well, we we did a webinar together, and he was like, and I can tell you, Terry, I will disagree with you because two of my long term relationships, we had sex on the first date, and sex was amazing then, and stayed amazing throughout the relationship, and we still were together for five years. Yeah. So again, I'm not saying this is like scientifically proven. I'm just telling you what my thoughts are on it.
1: So how long should we actually wait in terms of? Is it, I know you said it's different for everyone, but was there any particular reason why you chose the eight dates? And <laughs> I mean, like you can have eight dates in eight days, <laughs> so to speak, but like how long?
2: You can, and I'm not saying that eight dates took a really long time. Cause the truth is once we fell, we fell hard and I probably waited three weeks. Yeah. You know what I mean? So again, if you see the person once a month, the eight day rule, probably not going to work for you. Right. It's really just the theory. It's in your mind, giving yourself permission. And for me, I needed to voice it so that I wasn't worried about it. And also, I needed to know that I was with someone who respected my sovereignty over my own sexuality my own body. I mean, when I was in college, I remember fooling around with some guy who was the whatever. And I w- I had said to him, he was like, Hey, uh, this is the third time we've been out and making out heavily. And like, are we having sex anytime soon? I was like, definitely not. He's like, okay, then I'm out. And I was like, good for oh, you, no. but, but good for him. That's fine. He was a grown man. I was like a 19 year old. And I was like, dude, I don't even know you, but there was clarity. And I feel like with communicating upfront, You're managing expectations, whether they're the other persons, whether they're your own. But for me, it created a liberation to enjoy getting to know my husband as a person. And of course, I was super attracted to him. I still am. But I didn't have to worry about whether I was going to be having to say no and how he was going to feel. We were in agreement and it kind of made it fun. So part of it is it's not it's not to make it be a drag, right? It's to, first of all, see, can you negotiate with this person? Is this person going to flip out and feel rejected or be like, you're a tease or you're this? or I mean, the way he responded told me so much about who he was as a person, respectful, decent, in, in my estimation, and would never want me to do something that I didn't want to do.
1: Yeah, I'm very much old fashioned as well. And I'm always nervous when I'm sharing, I guess, my boundaries and and myself with this new person and how they're going to react. Are they going to flip out and say, no, definitely not. But then I've sort of realized these days that if they're flipping out and they're not respecting the boundaries that I put in place, there's obviously reasons behind that. But if they're not respecting it, then why in the world would I want to be with them in the first place? So I guess my question to you is, why is it so important in the first place? And how do we remove that fear between actually sharing those boundaries between Mm -hmm. someone that's new? And even if we do like them per se, we have those feelings, Mm -hmm. um, should we still like pursue them if they flip out (laughs) or run like hell?
2: Well, part of it is, I don't think it's an either or. I think that it's its part of it is the way that you share your boundaries and boundaries, the language of boundaries, right? It, it's an actual language, just like anything else. And so a lot of times we wait too long to say the thing and then the thing comes out way hotter than, than we meant it rather than saying, oh, hey, I'd like to make a simple request. Like here's an example of like you're dating early and the person says, I'll call you Friday. Let's go out Friday night. You go great. They don't call you Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say you don't call them on Friday, but then they call you Monday, or they call you late on Friday, and they're like, "Hey, what's up?" So you either collude with their bullshit behavior, and you're like, uh, "Nothing, I'm just you know, about to hit the sack," or what, whatever, whatever it is you would say, or you say, "Hey, I thought you were going to call me today," and you didn't and i'm not sure why you know you can just straight up say it if that person's like what do you already think you're my girl go- my boyfriend If they go into some of that stuff you can say listen i'm busy and i'm someone who does what i say i'm gonna do and in my life i only have room for other people who do what they say they're gonna do now we don't have to get all aggro about it right I simply, I say to people, if people say I'm going to call and they don't, I always say, hey, I'd like to make a simple request. Just keep your word. Because you know what people, life is short. I don't have time for your ambivalence, for your insecure attachment or whatever the hell it is. Either talk about it or don't. But that's a boundary, which says I'm not going to collude with your fake reality because you did say you were going to call i'm not making a major case of it either you know um matthew hussey has a great i, I always steal this from him because he's got really good like text things that you can do if you're dating and he says if somebody you know gets in touch with you late night let's just say you're first dating and they get in touch like hey i'm near your place want to hang or it's like 11 30 at night and you're so clear it's a booty call that you can say oh hey i think you're mixing me up with someone who's had many more dates with you than me but in the future that sounds great in the meantime have a good night but like cute winky face we're not talking about being offended by everything because there's no need and when you become fluent in the language of boundaries it gets so easy to talk true as i call it and what you're really doing is the most loving and most generous thing that you can do in any relationship because you are letting someone know who you are, why set ourselves up yeah. for bad behavior? People not following through like why there, there's no reason. And you don't need to. And so many women in my therapy practice and my groups and my courses will be like, you know, well, I'm afraid they're going to think I'm high maintenance. I'm like, here's the thing. Know who you are expecting this mother effort to keep their word. That is not high maintenance
1: yeah.
2: at all that's literally having standards. And that bar is low as hell in my book. That's the very least you're going to do is keep your word. So I say early and often when you're dating, call someone out, not in an aggressive way, but if they're doing something that you feel that constriction in your chest, you're like, oh, that's when you know. A boundary has been violated. Like, even if you can't say something in the moment because you might go into fight, flight, freeze, or fawn, like, we have a lot of physical things that may be happening if there's a boundary violation. But that's your cue that something needs to be said. And you can do it after the fact. Like, there's no statute of limitation. I don't care if that shit happened in 1978. You could be like, hey, Bob, remember the summer of 78? Like, I want to tell you how I felt about that interaction we had because there is no statute of limitations on. You telling the truth about your experience. But in the dating scene, what will happen is if you in a cool, neutral way, right? Again, not super aggressive, say, Hey, do me a favor. If you said you said you're going to call on Friday, call. Yeah. That's it, because you don't have to call. You don't have to ever call. Yeah. But if you say you're going to, I expect that you will. And it it was on my docket, right? It's on my plate. And then you didn't. So that that is my simple request. It's not even that hard their response and their reaction, right? Like my husband could have been like, you're a frigging weirdo, bye on that eight date thing. He could have, but the fact that he was so such a Pisces that he isn't so mellow and was like, okay, sounds good. Mm-hmm. I mean, did it sound good? I don't know, but but he didn't mind was the point. We were having fun, doing things, going to concerts. So I feel like the information, the data that you will get about that person is really valuable if the person does flip out, and this was, that was literally the longest way around the barn to get back to your freaking question, (laughs) which was if the person flips out, you know, do you run the other way? If the person's like, well, I don't see why you're getting so mad. You stay on your side of the street saying, Oh, Hey, Hey, for clarity, I'm not mad. I'm actually just being really clear that this is the way it needs to be for anyone who's in my life got to keep your word, got to do what you say you're going to do. And truthfully, I don't think it's a lot to ask. So if we're, if these types of conversations are going to be like, not good for you, then I'm probably going to be not good for good for you because I want to be able to talk about anything with whoever I'm dating.
1: Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, and I, by the way, I love long answers to questions. It means that I don't have to talk as much. <laughs> um, but I, I wanted to ask you about, cause we, we did mention them a little bit before red flags i mean red -hmm. flags are there for a reason obviously uh firstly what are some of the biggest red flags we should look out for with before we even venture into a relationship and if they are there is it possible to mend those red flags like get rid of them make them
2: green (laughs) it depends on what they are so let's talk about what they are okay does the person remember what you talk about uh, are they a good conversationalist meaning do they ask you a question and allow you expanse to answer the question um or are they like a wait to talker quote unquote where you're talking and they just can't wait to find a hole where they can dive in and co-opt that conversation back to themselves so you want to be really mindful about what kind of a listener the person is to see if they're actually interested in you or if they're more interested in having an audience. Um, if they're endlessly talking shit about all their exes, all their exes are insane. Hey, you know who the common denominator is in that? The person that you're dating. Yeah. So be mindful if they don't have any friends. That to me, that's that makes me nervous. Someone who doesn't have any friends, uh, something is going on. If you have literally zero friends Or if you're always talking badly about your friends, Um, if you and this one could turn green, right? Because some people have crazy families. So (laughs) like if they're completely estranged from the whole family because the family is completely toxic, narcissistic, whatever, fine. But if that isn't the case and there's just a super ton of conflict within the family system, it's not doesn't have to be a red flag about the person. It's just something to be mindful of because we repeat what we do not repair. So that's, and that's, I did not make up that amazing quote and I forgot the lady's name who did, but I'm sure a thousand people listening, it's a very popular quote um, about what I call repeating boundary realities, repeating relationship realities. So you wanna be mindful of what evidence do you have of what they might be repeating? Um, What are the red flags if they're super secretive? Um, I had a boyfriend once whose apartment I never saw And obviously he was cheating on me Okay, um, Like literally never saw He's like it's because it's small And I was like oh probably because you have like a whole family there That I didn't know about mm-hmm. um, Alright that's exaggerating not true But still I should have known that That secrecy Was and, and People love to be super secret Under the guise of being I'm just a private person yeah. You're like nah Nah there's private Is one thing and being like Secret is another. Um, Other red flags, they don't like your friends. They're trying to, they want to isolate you from other people in your life. They're a bad sharer of you. They don't, instead of wanting to come into the fold of your life, they're trying to pull you out of the fold of your life. Um, And then people who are too codependent, people who are either really jealous that is a huge red flag to me because that shit is most likely never changing and it is so toxic and abusive like it really does become terrible um another red flag is love bombing Uh where the person is overly rushing the situation right and being like like i was talking about before being like oh my god you want to go to wedding for me in 2027 you're like um hi (laughs) five years from now like are we going to be together in that time? You know, or wanting talking about like, you're the perfect person for me. Nobody understands me but you. If they're lavishing you with gifts and expensive things and all of that, you're the most perfect. You're the most amazing. Yeah, that's love bombing. And it's a manipulation tactic. Whether the person is cognizant of it or not, I don't, it doesn't matter because if that's happening, most likely there's going to be an unhealthy relationship. That can be the cycle of abuse. And people are like, well, what if someone is just nice and generous like that? I'm like, well, then their behavior is not going to change. And they're going to stay nice, generous, loving, thinking you're the most amazing things in sliced bread consistently. They're not going to suddenly be like, "Uh, are you wearing those pants? Because honestly, you look like a tubbo in those. Like suddenly there's a switch with people like that, narcissistic personality disorder and different other sort of uh, cluster B personality disorders, there will be a moment when that love bombing, the cycle of abuse begins where, and then you are you as the sort of person being victimized is always trying to get back in the good graces of that time when you were the most amazing thing to them. It's just awful. All right. I think I covered quite a bit.
1: There's a lot there. And I think as you were listing out some of these like red flags, I was remembering back to one of the relationships that I was in in 2018 and it ended badly in 2019 purely because I didn't realize that I was displaying a lot of these red flags. It was a very unhealthy relationship Mm -hmm. that I was in. I was love bombing. So I was basically, I put my whole identity and my entire worth into being with this girl. And then I would just shower her with gifts. I would spend an enormous amount of money on gifts and that wasn't even her love language and i thought that it was <laughs> so i wasn't listening either to the fact that she was telling me slow down stop i'm like no that means more i've got to give you more <laughs> i'm not doing enough and then i would be extremely jealous and uh i i liked her friends but i i wanted to have her all to myself most of the yeah. time so it was very as you can tell by me just saying all these things it was extremely unhealthy and it was bound to fail I didn't want it to fail. So I fought as hard as I possibly could to keep it going until I, I finally realized that I needed to let go. Uh, and then another thing we were doing, was just not respecting each other's boundaries at all. Like mm-hmm. it was, I we'd set up one boundary here and we just completely cross it. And then you'd feel absolutely miserable as a result of crossing it. And no mm-hmm. one respected each other from then on. So it was like this massive, compilation and I, I look back at her now and I'm like the best thing the best thing she ever did for me was break up <laughs> with me because <laughs> yep. then it, it flipped my switch and it made me start more recently made me start like fixing and healing a lot of those idiotic things that I was doing that I actually wasn't really aware of in in that moment mm-hmm. so yeah it was uh it was a crazy period but I'm glad that I'm a lot better now. I hope that I am.
2: <laughs> but that self reflection, right? It's it's yeah. what what inspires us to self reflect. Almost nothing but pain. Yeah. Like we got to like be on our knees to be like, okay, I, I will look at what this is. Like we want to keep going, you know. Um, and it's interesting. That you, ha- you have this insight now and a deeper understanding. It sounds like there was a ton of codependency yeah. in that relationship. And this is something that I feel like people, it's highly misunderstood concept. Actually, my next book is going to be about high functioning codependency. Yeah. Because people think that it's, you have to be involved with an addict. You must be enabling them. Maybe it's someone who's drinking or deading or doing coke. no. That's that there's so codependency expresses itself for regular people. It's not just in like a narcissistic personality disorder person and a codependent. Now everyone has their own theory. That's my theory is that we all can express codependency, which according to Terry Cole is being overly invested in the feeling states, the outcomes, the decisions, the circumstances, the relationships of the people in our life, But to the detriment of our own internal peace, our own financial, physical, spiritual, emotional well-being, right? That's what it is. Because listen, we're all lovers, right? Of course, you're in love with someone. Obviously, you're invested in them being happy. But if it's to the detriment, if something bad happening to them is actually like feels like something bad happening to you, like for real, like you need to fix it, that is codependency.
1: I think it's going to be a very interesting book, actually. Because I I don't think I've read a book about codependency. I mean, there's chapters and all that, but a whole book dedicated to it, Mm -hmm. that, that would be a powerful book in my opinion. I mean, your book about boundaries is powerful in of itself, but then you got codependency. I mean, not many people were actually, at least I didn't think about it when I was in that relationship, but I'm thinking about it more now um, mm-hmm. as I get older <laughs> and hopefully a little bit more wiser <laughs> from sure, the pain. it's
2: experience, right? It is the experience, Jay, that that's it. Like all we, this is just life school, right? We're all just doing the best that we can to learn as we go. But the most important thing you're doing, which is wanting to be healthy and being willing to do the work to make it happen.
1: It, it's hard. And, and I chose to be single For a long period of time, because I did not feel ready. That was my boundary for myself. Like I didn't, Mm -hmm. I didn't feel ready to open myself up in that way for somebody. And it's difficult to actually like say no to someone that is Mm -hmm. interested in you. And like, how do we but I know it was was hard for me to say no, but is there a way to make it easier for people? Is that even possible?
2: Well, here's the thing with boundaries. Like a lot of times I get questions where people go, I want to put boundaries in place, but I don't want there to be any conflict and I don't want anyone to be mad. And I don't want, I'm like, well, here's the thing. (laughs) When we change anything, right? Rejecting anyone doesn't feel good unless you're like a sadist, right? Mm -hmm. We don't love it. We're like sensitive folks. So- you can get better at it because here's the thing. If you don't want to date because of truly you are reserving this time for your own evolution, basically, that's a perfectly legitimate thing to say, right? Is to say, I appreciate you. And if I were in a different place in my life, I could definitely see going for it. I appreciate you making yourself vulnerable and where I am right now. I don't have my bucket is not full enough for me to be sharing my life with someone else. I'm in the process of doing a lot of healing. And, you know, I don't expect that you'll be single in a few years, but maybe you will be, who knows? Like there's ways to do it. It's us getting over our fear of doing it. And when I say getting over it, I mean, feeling the fear and doing it anyway, because what it gets replaced by When you talk about boundaries and, you know, um, sharing your preferences, your limits, your deal breakers, right? To me, those are your boundaries with other people. All we can see is the fear and the myths of like people feeling rejected and ah, you being mean and getting aggressive and women think that people are going to think they're dramatic or a bitch or whatever. Like there's all of this fear. And what you don't see until you really start putting this in place is the self-esteem and the self-love and the the strength of your core self that starts happening when you have the ability to talk true and how good it feels to be known, to be authentically, succinctly known for who you actually are. I was just um, interviewing people for on my team for new social media people. and I was having a very candid conversation. I'm so excited. For, of your talent i was talking to one of them and i said and for clarity this company is not a democracy
0: mm-hmm.
2: right this is my company the most important thing is what i think and what i want i am paying you for your professional opinion for right. you to get innovative do all those things but i'm not on like kumbaya boat where i got to think that my company which is i'm on the hook for it's it doesn't matter what they think about some things. Do you know what I mean? And I feel like a friend of mine who has a big business as well was telling me that, you know, she, her second in command is always like saying, if that's okay with you guys, I'm like, Hey ma'am, the only person this needs to be okay with actually is me. So if I'm okay with it, I will give you the directive and if you don't want to do it. Then we'll, we'll discuss why, but, or if you think it's not the right move, I'm also open to that. But That clarity, I never could have done that 15 years ago. I never would have. I wouldn't want them to think I wasn't nice. But it is not nice, legitimately speaking, to say yes when you want to say no to something. To let someone believe something about you that is inaccurate. We're giving corrupted data to the most important people in our life and then wondering why we have existential loneliness. I know why. Nobody friggin' knows you unless you're telling the truth about how you feel and you're not into the people pleasing and all the scenarios and it's painful. Hence why I wrote a whole book. Hence why I have a whole course called Boundary Boot Camp, and I've got codependency courses because nobody teaches us this stuff, Jay. It's not like my mother or father or anybody was like, hey, this is how you set a boundary and you should. Most of us were taught the opposite, right? Be a good girl, like shut up. Don't be a troublemaker. Don't be a big mouth. Don't stir the pot. Don't be a drama queen. Those are the messages. At least that's what I got where it was like, do well in school. Be a good girl. Nobody was like, what do you actually think? Yeah. Nobody cared unless it was positive. I could share if it was positive, but if I had a complaint or if I had, I was upset about something. No, get it together. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You know?
1: Yeah. Completely understand where you're coming from there. Cause yeah, I grew up in a conservative Christian household and there were a lot of things that I was taught and I didn't really question growing up. And now I'm questioning a lot, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, a lot more than what I did as a kid. And it's it's finally starting to make a lot more sense to me. The more I start to open myself up and the more I question those sort of things, mm-hmm. uh, but something you mentioned there sort of interested me even more about the no and the rejection side of things because no one likes being rejected yet it happens to us every single day it's just a fact mm-hmm. of life we just gotta i i say we gotta appreciate it and lean more into it because it's gonna teach us more about ourselves but mm-hmm. in also saying that as well is you sort of uh set me up for this one because we have so many boundaries in our lives or we should have so many uh, quite a few boundaries, right? Uh, mm-hmm. is, is any boundary too unrealistic for someone to appreciate or like, a, you know, respect?
2: Yep. Here's the thing. Let's make the distinction because I think uh, boundaries are very misunderstood. And a lot of times people will use the language saying something is a boundary, but it's really not. It's a lever. to control the other person so like a perfect example is i had a client who she liked to go to bed early her partner liked to go to bed late they were trying to like meet in the middle but part of her complaint was when she would go to bed early her partner would come into the room flip on the light, get undressed right there, basically wake her up. You know, she's gone to bed at 10, he's coming in at two and waking her up, she can't go back to sleep. Okay, so they decided, you know, two nights a week, they would go to bed at the same time. So maybe they could fool around or whatever it is they wanted to do to go to bed at the same time. But here's the thing. And she was like, he shouldn't be going to, these are my boundaries. He shouldn't be going to bed so late and he shouldn't be waking me up. And I was like, okay, no. So let's get clear. He's a grown man. He can actually go to bed whenever the hell he wants. That's the truth. You can make a request like, Hey, I want to have intimate time with you. Can we make a compromise? But you judging that he's a night owl and you're not, that is not a boundary. That's control where you, your boundary request is that you bought him a little miner's lamp. Can he use it? So he doesn't have to Put on the fluorescent lights while you're sleeping. And that is a boundary violation because it's intruding on her side of the street, which is her being sound asleep. So does that make sense? The distinction?
1: It does. And I'm sort of going to relate it to me a little bit because I go to bed. Please do. I go to bed super early and I don't like that being messed with at all. And if it does get messed with, I get annoyed. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I try Some days, because I was asked this question not that long ago by my parents, they're like, so you're still, you're 25 years old, Jay, you go to bed at 7.30 most nights, you wake up at four o'clock in the morning, which is honestly very different. It's insane for a lot of people, but I do it for specific reasons for my own health and my own mental health at the same time. Mm But also, in saying that, they're like, "How are you going to you know go out to dinner with someone? How are you going to do all that sort of stuff? Is there any like leeway at all?" And I'm like, "Well, yeah, I've got this boundary here that I don't want to be crossed, but I can make some exceptions that I feel comfortable with, and it's not it's going to, not going to be consistent. If it's consistent, then I've got a problem. Does that make sense?
2: It does, but part of it is you've got to look at how rigid sort of your attachment to that to that schedule is yeah and listen there are people who do the news in new york city at three in the you know what i mean their whole life is going to bed at five o'clock and getting up at two and they have relationships and they live lives so part of it is partnering with someone who has a certain amount of flexibility. I'm not saying that that person needs to want to go to bed at 730 with you, but where you go, okay, how we celebrate together is we'll do lunches out, right? I'm just thinking about like, what would problem solving sort of look like? You don't have to do the traditional things that other people do. If you find your right person, they're not going to care. They're going to be like, great. Twice a week we meet for a big ass lunch at one o'clock and then you they do what they do and you go to bed at seven thirty, and there's no there's no problem with that if you got to go to a wedding or do something else you've got to be of course flexible enough to be like oh okay on this night i'm not going to bed at 7 yeah. but i feel like it is your right to have that preference your parents do not need to understand your preference for your preference to be valid you need them to respect your preference So if they continually, and you didn't say they are, I'm giving an example, hassle you about like, we want to do family dinner at eight, you know, or whatever you can, you will have to continually draw the boundary and say, Hey, you guys, you're well aware. This is my schedule. You cannot like it, but I will require that you respect it. So why don't we plan family lunch on Wednesdays at one? or whatever, right? Another thing is when we're trying to compromise with people that we actually love, there needs to be some kind of give and take, right? So instead of just being like, hey, get off my back about 7.30, it can be like, hey, this could really be fun. Why don't we try this? If you want to spend time with them or whatever, you know what I mean?
1: That makes a lot of sense. And yeah, my parents, they they sort of like making fun of me (laughs) in that respect, in in a jokingly sort of manner, but I know there's some seriousness behind it. And I've had mm-hmm. to tell them a couple of times, you know, just leave me be. Um, but yeah, and and you're right, like I think that person that I end up being with will just not really care what time I go to bed. And that's that means she's the one for me. <laughs> if they can yeah. if they can accept that. Uh, my goodness. But um, yeah, Tara, I wanted to also be respectful of your time. I feel mm-hmm. like I could talk to you for ages about <laughs> this too. stuff. It's a lot of fun. But I wanted to ask you as well, because you said that you were a talent agent at one stage and then you moved into psychotherapy. Can mm-hmm. can you share with
2: me that story, please? Sure. Um, I was negotiating contracts for supermodels and celebrities. That was my job. And, you know, even though everyone thought it was great and cool and sparkly, and, you know, it is, it was to some degree, I was becoming less and less enamored with the life, with the traveling so much, with the all of it, with the way that you got to deal with celebrities, all the things. And I was also building my mental health. Mm -hmm. So I became like obsessed with helping others long before I was a therapist, helping others get into therapy. I was definitely more interested in the mental health of my model clients than I was the Pantene dealer, the movie contract that I was negotiating. I couldn't wait to get people into eating disorder clinics and drug treatment clinics and all the things that they needed. So I knew I had, I had become too healthy psychologically to stay in the business that at least when I was there, this is the nineties, it was so friggin' toxic. It was also at the height of the George Michael supermodel clan thing, you know? So nobody in my life, not that I cared because I truly didn't, but you know, my father was like, wait, uh, you're running an agency, but now you're quitting your job to become a social worker. Why? That's like the dumbest idea ever. And he just said, he said, Why? And I said, because I'm not happy. And he said, literally, verbatim, sounds weird. And I was like, well, sounds weird to you. My happiness is important to me. And lucky for me, I don't need anything from you. So how about you just support my decision? And he was like, okay, I do. I was like, okay, well, there you go. There we have it. So part of the moving into this was it was what I was doing. It was really what I wanted to do. And it was scary, of course, leaving a boatload of cash, yeah. which I saved not that much of, to be honest. I like try I just did whatever the hell I wanted, just travel, just I just live my life, you know. Yeah. So I think I when I quit and I started going to NYU. And I also applied to one grad school. I was like, if I don't get into NYU, I guess I'm not meant to be a therapist because I'm not moving to fucking Ohio. So I hope I get in. I went to a crappy undergraduate school. So I actually thought I didn't really have a great shot. But of course, I talked about the hot bed of not mental health and entertainment was. And I was like, if I could just get an interview, I could probably get myself in. And I got a panel interview and I was accepted. And then I was like, oh, my God, now I have to go. You can't like get accepted and not go. So I ran the agency remotely almost the entire time that I was doing an accelerated master's program at NYU. And I graduated and literally put up my shingle the day I graduated. I took the test the next day, passed, and I was like, "And I'm a business."
1: So, why psychotherapy and not become a psychologist? Is it timing wise? Or- yes,
2: yeah. it was so much less time. Yeah. And it, and what I wanted to do was be a therapist, a talk therapist, which you can do with you know at NYU, it's a it's like a clinic or clinical master's program in social work, where it was geared towards private practice. Yeah. So that was what I wanted. And I loved that. You know, I did a ton of research on all the Columbia Fordham, all the ones in New York. Right. Cause I wasn't willing to move outside of the city, but I was looking within and really NYU had the program that I wanted to go to. Um, yeah. So that's why psychotherapy, because what I wanted was the ability to see therapy clients and to be able to give them bills so they could get money back from their insurance. I never, I never did the being a part of insurance stuff because they don't give you any money, but I wanted to. So I did my 3000 hours. There's a whole, whole bunch of hoops that you got to jump through in New York to be able to give people bills so that they can get reimbursed by insurance.
1: And did you ever think that you would write a book one day or more than one book?
2: You know, interestingly, I think I did think that like, there's a part of me that, I don't know. I always knew that my I was meant to help people like for sure, like because I always did, even as a little kid, like I was always the one like I'm such an empath, such a highly sensitive person that and I loved sharing what I learned if I could um, help someone else suffer less of something that I suffered, you know, and I I did this thing with Deepak Chopra, who was really a mentor to me. And he basically was like, if you go through like hell and back, I mean, this is all paraphrasing, because obviously Deepak does not talk like that. um, And you learned something. And if the thing you learned could lessen the suffering of others, then it's sort of like you were in a way your duty or, you know, he, he said, kidding to me, you know, it'll put karma in your karma bank. And I was like, you're funny, but really, and that really impacted me. That was, this was many years ago. Almost, I don't know, 20 maybe wow. where I thought, wow, this is what my whole life is, is wanting to help others suffer less and really step into like, we're so lucky To be alive. I recently had a very close girlfriend who was only 53 had a beautiful wife, three gorgeous kids. She died like very, not just too young. And she actually in a dream to one of our other friends, she came in the dream. And in the dream, she's saying to our friend Allie, like Allie's crying like, Oh my God, Patricia. And she's like, Allie, this is amazing. And she's like, why is it amazing? She's like, you're still on earth, you get to live. Like, live, babe, live your life. And this, I've known about this dream for about a year. And it's like, it's my mantra. Like, I get to live. You get to live. Mm. Every single one of you listening to this podcast, like, what an honor and a friggin' privilege. And, dude, we really do not know when our time is going to be up. So it's like, let's live, let's help each other. Let's love, let's become our best selves. Let's create amazing things together. Let's lessen each other's suffering and elevate each other's joy. Yeah,
1: that's beautiful. Yeah, I was reminded the other day, actually, that how precious life really is and how we should appreciate more of it and how much we take it for granted, like on any Mm -hmm. given day, like just waking up, we take that for granted most of the time. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that you got air in your lungs and, and you're actually, your brain's working. Like that for me is like, that's special.
2: And yeah, you have hot water in your shower. How about that? You have food, relationships, a roof. You live in where you live and I live where I live, which is privilege upon privilege upon privilege, you know?
1: They're beautiful, beautiful things. And I wanted to ask you, Terry, how hard was it for you to write a book on boundaries?
2: Well, the truth is that I was writing this book and my mother got diagnosed with anal cancer, which is terrible. She's okay now. She's cancer free, but she was 83 at the time and a young 83, like definitely not ready to die. So, mm-hmm. chemo, radiation, it was. Friggin' hell. And I had to become the boundary boss that I already thought I was (laughs) because I had to keep my writing schedule. I had to let my sister step up and not be like the bossy one doing everything. I have three older sisters, but I was always like the one, you know, um, I had to be a boundary boss when it came to the publisher, right. Like we couldn't get the cover right. And I knew it was my designer in London who I wanted to do the cover. I tried to make, and then it was like, No, I was like, wait, just make four covers. We're just going with our cover. And I mean, I did that, but that was hard to do with my first book. So I would say it was challenging, but I learned so much about myself and about my resiliency and about how, like I wrote the book I wanted to write. I was not convinced by a developmental editor or other people or the publisher. They were, they, you know, I went to the mat on things that I wanted in this book and the book has been so successful. And I have thousands of people writing to me saying, I love the format of the book. It's helping me so much, blah, blah, blah. But part of that is when your gut is like, no, it has to be. And I was like, you guys, I'm the only therapist here. Trust me when I tell you, this is the order it must go in. Yeah. This must be at the end of the chapter. This must be at the end of the book. So I anyway, know, long way around the board to get back to. How was it? Challenging, energizing, terrifying, frustrating, exhausting, and so scary because here's the thing you hand it in, the yeah. final, final, you've done the minuscule line edits, like everything. You've been doing it for however long you've been doing it. And then you just go, wow, oh, I hope this is going to land the way that I think it is. Like, I hope. It's as clear as I think it is. I hope I said what I wanted to say. And then when the feedback starts coming in, you're like, oh, my God, this is amazing. I'm re- I'm doing my dharma, right? My purpose in life, yeah. reaching people all over the world. I had a whole campaign to get it into libraries. So if you couldn't afford a book, you could get it for free in a library or I would give it to you. Like I, I just wanted everyone to be able to read it. Of course, I wanted to sell it too. But honestly, not more than I wanted everybody to read it. So we had a whole campaign to get it into libraries all over the world.
1: And if you look at the Amazon reviews as well, like how many have you got
2: now? You got quite a lot. A lot, a lot. I don't even know, honestly. I mean, my team like reads them and drops them sometimes. And it makes me so happy. They're like, Terry, you need to be seeing what's happening. And I'm all like, head down, next book. What am I doing? (laughs) You know, but I do need to look up and smell the reviews once in a while
1: and appreciate just how important this book really is and how many people are actually loving it. So it's not, that's not an easy thing to do. Like to write, to write a book, let alone a good book that people love and you can get like five star reviews consistently. Like Mm -hmm. that's, that's something. So congratulations, Terry, honestly, it's brilliant topic. And I can't wait for my copy to arrive whenever that is. (laughs) (laughs) Take forever in Australia these days because of distribution issues, but all those wonderful things, but can't wait for it to arrive. Two quick final questions for you, Terry. Sure. Uh, before I ask them, where do you want people to get a copy of your book? Do they go straight to Amazon or your website? Where do you want them to go and connect with you?
2: Well, I have lots of gifts for them if they go to boundarybossbook.com. So that's where to go. Boundary Boss book com because I did video like I just ridiculously over gave to the ridiculous degree because and everyone's like you should take the bonuses down I was like why. Mm-hmm. Why should I ever take them down? You bought the book. I want you to have the bonuses that will give you more information. So anyway, that's where you should go. And you can find me at terrycole.com and I'm at terrycole on Instagram. And I also have a podcast that you're going to come on called The Terry Cole Show that I've had for seven years. So you can find that anywhere your podcasts are. I also have a boundary quiz that if anyone is interested in their boundary archetype, like how your boundaries, when they're order to express themselves. Just go to boundaryquiz.com.
1: I'm going to take that quiz now. That's going to be a lot of fun, but yeah, you everyone are. go and get a copy of a book, take the quiz, do all those wonderful things. She's not hard to find at all. Uh, just type in a name. She'll come up <laughs> and watch her stuff. She's got a great podcast too. I love listening to it. She's a good interviewer as well. Um, and I'm looking forward to being a guest of your, on your show. Terry, Second final question for you. What do you love the most about yourself and your story?
2: I think what I appreciate the most about myself is my resiliency and my eternal optimism, which not to be confused with hyper-positivity but I'm an optimist. Like in my soul, I really think where there's a will, there's a way most of the time. And I've had a lot of things happen in my life that could make me kind of bitter or cynical, but they haven't. So I appreciate that I can count on myself to just get the buck back up.
1: love that. This is my final question for you. This is my all time favorite question. I love asking all my guests at the very end. It is a hypothetical one, but I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call it magic for the sake of argument, but they've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? I want that
2: film to show that I helped hundreds of millions of people step into their greatest lives, their their power, have more joy. I wanted to show that I was a devoted friend, wife, mother, grandmother, and at that point, probably a great, great, great grandmother, sister, daughter. and that people were like my my passion, helping people. And that the the film should consistently show that up until my 100th birthday, that I would still be doing something to be of service to the world.
1: It's a perfect send-off message. You're amazing, Terry. Love this conversation. But thank you so much for joining me today on the Storybox podcast. Thanks for having me, Jay. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guests today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the Storybox on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Box. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then.
0: Hold up.